lifting up his name. It's all about him. We got a lot of folks out today. And so make sure, like I said, you check on folks that you notice that are missing uh, around your location. Second Chronicles, if you have your Bible with you, Second Chronicles chapter 16. We're going to look at one verse here. Second Chronicles chapter number 16. And we're going to turn over into the New Testament and find an example uh, of this verse. Second Chronicles chapter 16 and verse number 9. The Bible says this, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. We'll stop right there, that part of the verse. You may have a, a different version that says something different. Uh, the New American Standard Version in the, in the middle of that verse says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. In, in what he says uh, about showing himself strong is translated this way. It says that he may uh, strongly support. Gives the idea that God is going to support someone that has a heart that is completely his. That's the idea of the verse here. God's telling us, he's, he's, the seer Hananiah is rebuking Asa, the king of Judah, for doing something wrong. And he's letting him know that God just wants somebody that's heart is 100% set on seeking him. That means they have no self-purpose in it at all. He's getting in trouble because he put self in there. He, he thought. That's the worst thing you can ever say, by the way. I thought. Well, that's your first problem. Don't thought. Just know what thus saith the Lord says. I mean... I, <laughs> I've told y'all from day one, I'm plain and simple, and I like to keep it plain and simple because I believe this book's plain and simple. And Peter said that God has given us everything. Everything means everything. I've given you everything that pertaineth unto life. Everything that we need to know about how to live life is in this book. And he didn't stop there. He said, I've given you everything that pertaineth unto life and godliness. Which means everything that God wants us to know about life and how to live life is in this book. And everything that God wants to know us to know about how to live life and live a godly life is in this book. And God wants us as his people to live a godly life. Which simply means it's not up to me. And it's not up to you. If you want to please the Lord, you have to live according to God's word. You have to live according to what he says in the book. We don't get to change the book. The book gets to change us. People say, prayer changes things. Prayer does not change things. Prayer changes me. When I pray, God changes me. He changes my perspective. He changes the way I see it to the way he sees it. He moves my heart from a selfish heart 
to the heart for what he wants and what his purpose is. And I don't know if, and not trying to be rude or ugly to anybody this morning, but if you miss Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, you miss a lot of what I preach about because I say a lot of things over again, and I'll refer to them again, and if you're not here on them, you probably ain't got a clue what I'm saying sometimes. But sometimes there are things in God's Word that He wants us to get, that He wants us to hear, that we don't want to hear, that we just want to ignore because they don't fit us. Well, again, God's not worried about fitting us. He's worried about us fitting Him. And He wants to mold us and make us into what He wants and what He desires because that's all we're here for anyway. In this verse, he wants, he, he's looking for somebody. I mean, you know, people want to be somebody. We sang, you know, they played that video and sang that song a couple weeks ago about uh, this and nobody telling everybody about somebody. And I don't want to be a somebody. I just want to be a nobody. That's the biggest lie. Everybody wants to be somebody. We sing it on Sunday morning and clap and get on. Yes, me, yes, praise God. And the minute we go out the door, we want people to know who we are. We want people to notice us, people to see us. It's all about us. You see? If we're honest, if you be honest, if, if you'll just be honest with God, he'll do something in your heart. He'll do something in your life. He'll change you and make you something, and you'll be so excited, and you'll be so happy. But you just got to learn to let go and let God do it. You got to let him have his way and, and quit bucking. You know, when you was a kid growing up, what was the worst thing? Getting in trouble, wasn't it? Why? Because you won't do it your way. And mom and daddy said, no, you're going to do it our way. And I don't know what it was like at your house. But around my house, I had more than one mama. I had mamas, grandmamas, and granddaddies, and aunts, and uncles, and and everybody that was older was in charge. And that's it. The neighbor's kids come over, they got a whipping if I got a whipping. I went over there, I got a whipping if they got a whipping. I mean, it, this, that's the way it, it's life. Why? Because we don't obey. But God emphasizes here that, that he wants to strongly support. That means he's given everything there is to give. He's going to strongly support somebody that will 100% get on board with him. That's what he's looking for. You remember the story of David. I, 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 I may preach on this in a few weeks if the Lord uh, lets me. Out of 1 Samuel, about Christian critics. Yeah, Christians can be the most critical people in all the world. Let me help you out if you want to stay in God's will today. You get things right at church this morning. You go out to the restaurant to eat. And if something happens and your waitress has more people than she can keep up with or he can keep up with, and your tea don't stay full the whole time, bless God, don't fuss at that waitress. And don't complain at that waitress. And don't be critical and mean at that waitress. Because she's probably working two or three jobs 
She probably got four or five kids at home and she's struggling to feed and keep clothes on and buy school supplies for. And that's why she's working on the Sunday to start with. And you're supposed to be representative of God and you go down to the restaurant and you become the most critical person in all the world. You ask a waitress, they hate working on Sundays. You know why they hate working on Sundays? Because all the Christians, I'll preach the message, thank you. Because all the people in church come down to the restaurant on Sunday morning and they sit down and eat and then they complain and gripe and want to leave a dollar bill and a gospel track on the table. That's why they don't like Christian people. Because we're some of the most critical, some of the most mean people that there is in all the world. And we ought to learn to be a little kinder. We ought to learn to love other people. And God says if there is one person that will 100% give their heart to me, I'll strongly support them. I'll get behind them and I'll give them everything that they need to succeed. That's what God wants to do. That's what God will do if people will just learn to give their heart to Him. In Mark chapter 2, if you want to turn there, there's a, a story here. This is not a parable. This is real life. There's a story here in Mark chapter 2. I believe it's a perfect illustration of that verse. God wants to strongly support that person whose heart is totally, 100% his. Mark chapter 2, we'll read beginning in verse 1. And again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door, and he preached the word unto them. Wasn't that something? Jesus was a preacher. You know what Jesus' first message was, and really the only message that he preached? If you got a red-letter Bible, you'll find it. It says, Repent ye therefore, or ye shall all likewise perish. We don't like repentance in our day and age. We don't want to accept the fact that we're sinners and that we need to repent of our sins. Oh, don't preach about repentance. Don't preach about a cross and don't preach about a bloody crucifixion and don't preach about sacrifice and don't preach about all that stuff. You make people feel bad. Well, bless God, we are bad. We're wicked to the core. Bible Paul said that a man's heart, there, there's no good, uh, there, it's continually evil. The wickedness of a man's heart is continually evil. That means all the time. I want to do good, and I strive to do good, but you know what? Deep down in my heart, there's still evil. You, you, you get that phone call, you get that text message, you get that email, and it's not the one you wanted. Makes you mad. Makes you angry. What do you want to do? You want to lash out. You know what? You're on your way to church and you want to lash out. You want to be mad. You want to get aggravated. Why? Because deep down in our heart, our heart is continually wicked. But we, if we give it to God, we give it to Him, and that repentance thing, and we keep a short account with him, life can change, and it'll be different. 
So Jesus preached repentance. He was a preacher. Verse number 2 is where I left off reading. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And, we could, and when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, and take up thy bed and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. You do know there's going to be some things in life that you never seen done that way before? Rather that mean they're wrong? You've never seen that before. Doesn't mean it's wrong. You may never see it again. Doesn't mean it's wrong. That's an illustration of what happened here. And it was not wrong. For just a minute, think about this. Learning to do whatever it takes. Having a heart for God. Having a heart for God. We know that Jesus, his mission, he had one sole mission in mind. Luke 19, 10, Jesus said that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. That was it. That was his purpose for coming to this earth, living, dying, raising from the dead, to be the sacrifice, to seek those that are lost, and to save them through the shedding of his blood and give them life through the resurrection that he accomplished after being dead three days and three nights. Salvation, the gospel message, however you want to label it or package it, that's what Jesus came here for. He didn't come here to make me happy. He didn't come here to make my life easier. He didn't come here to make my life better. He came here to seek me from the slave block of sin and to save me from it and give me life eternal. That's it. Now, I have a choice in life after that. Do I want to give him 100% of my heart and have a heart for God? Or do I just want to waffle back and forth? It's like I, I said a, a service or two ago about keeping one leg on one side and one leg on the other side of the fence. It was on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night when I talked about that. We looked over to Revelation 3 where God said either get on or get off because you middle of the road people make me sick. That's not what I said. That's what God said. You turn over there in Revelation 3 and read it. He says, either get hot or get cold. So it's my choice in life. I can either have a heart for him or not have a heart for him. But he don't like halfway hearts. He likes all the way hearts. And he'll like you better if you just had no heart and stayed at the house. 
Well, preacher, you're telling people they ought not come to church. I'm telling you, if you just come half-hearted, you're hindering the ones that want to do something for God. And God said, just be cold. There's not a lot I could say about my dad that I had respect for growing up. He was a preacher. He failed. He, he left the home, divorced my mama, went out and lived in sin for 30 years or more. Thank the Lord he did get his heart right with God, and he came back and was in church, and the Lord used him the last few years of his life in church. But the one thing I can tell you that I respect about my dad was this, that he believed what the Bible said in Revelation chapter 3. Because when he walked out of the pulpit for the last time, he laid his Bible down, and he didn't go back. Because he knew God said, I'd rather you be hot or cold, but don't be lukewarm. And he said, well, if I can't be hot, I'll just be cold. And he got out of the way. And I respect him for that. Because he didn't do anything to hinder people. He didn't try to teach people it's okay to live halfway or half-hearted or the way you want to. He set an example, either on or off. And I learned a lot from that growing up. I've either got to be on or be off. And when it's when I try to live in the middle, man, it just creates problems. It creates a hassle. But I want to show you uh, here, there, there, there are some men. There's four men here that we're going to focus on and, and show you what God can do when you have a heart for Him and for His mission. And that's seeing people come to know the Lord and, and, and to fulfill that great commission, leading people to Christ, discipling people in Christ, helping them to become the Christian they ought to be. It's a process. It's not just a, a one-and-done thing. But here, here, here's what it looks like to have a heart for God and, and to do whatever it takes to fulfill that mission. And look there uh, in verse 2. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. In other words, the crowd was so big around the house, there wasn't room for anybody else. They had the windows open and the doors open, and people were standing out in the yard. It would be nice to come to church one Sunday. Y'all don't have no windows. We have to knock some holes in the wall and open these back doors and open them front doors, and people be gathered out in the vestibule and out in these hallways because there wasn't enough room here in the sanctuary for them. It would be nice to come to church like that. That's the way it was. Jesus was preaching, and everybody wanted to hear, and they all came. You're probably thinking, if we had a different preacher than you, we might have more people here on Sunday morning. But anyway, there was a whole bunch of people there, and they couldn't get in. And then look at the last part of the verse, and he preached the word unto them, and they, verse 3, and they come unto him. You, you know, people always say, well, who are the they? Because we say that all the time, don't we? Well, they said... Well, they told me. Well, who's the they? Nobody ever knows who the they are. Well, here they are again. They showed up here. And there wasn't room for them to get in. But they came the right way. They come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and there... They had and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. Here's what it takes, all right? Doing whatever it takes, having a heart for God. Number one, it takes compassion. It takes compassion. 
we don't know anything about these four men, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But they cared enough about somebody to do something. They cared enough about somebody to do something. And we don't know if they knew the man, they didn't know the man. Anybody in here like Southern Gospel music? You've heard this song by Greater Vision where they sing about this in the Bible? They tell about this song. Nobody's heard that song. Everybody's looking like, huh? Man, if you like Southern Gospel music and you don't know who Greater Vision is and you ain't heard this song, you know, it's, it's 20 years old. You could turn the radio back on. But they sing about four men bringing a crippled guy to Jesus and they give a different person for each one. And at the, I think the name of the song is My Name's Lazarus. But at the, the fourth man, that's who he says, Hey, let me tell you, he can help this guy because I was dead and he raised me from the dead. Just talking about the four people. Good song. But, but here's the thing. They had compassion. They cared enough to do something. Here's some things about their compassion. The nature of their compassion was selfless and sacrificial. They didn't do it to be seen. They didn't do it so people would recognize them or notice who they were. And they didn't do it uh, so that they could get any kind of gain from it. They made a sacrifice, as a matter of fact. If you were going to church and you knew that the church was going to be packed and there wasn't going to be any seats, you want to get there early, get a good seat, wouldn't you? But they gave up their seats. They gave up the possibility of getting in the door and being able to find a seat in church so they could bring this guy to church. We wouldn't stop, and I'm not recommending you stop and pick up strangers in the world we live in. They're liable to key you before you get to church. But you know, if we picked up a neighbor, brought somebody to church, and we got there and they was running a little bit late or something, we'd get all bent out of the shit. Bless God, would you hurry? We're going to be late for church. Somehow get my seat, my parking place. And then the preacher will preach long, we'll be late to the restaurant. You know, it, it just, it, they didn't care. They was willing to make a sacrifice. Whatever the sacrifice was, they made it. Then the necessity, there was a necessity. They knew there was a need. Somebody had to do something to help this guy or he'd just stay there forever. You know, the world's full of people like that. The world's full of people like that. And I'm all for the shoebox thing. We ought to send them shoe boxes and we ought to help people out. But you know what? These people are probably right out here on this road between here and the red light in Trustful and here in the red light in Moody. There's probably people right on this same road, County 10, that unless somebody intervenes, that situation is never going to change. It's going to stay the same if somebody don't help them. It's not about whether they deserve help. It's not about whether they're worthy of help. Not about any of that. They just need help. And if somebody don't help them, nothing's ever going to change. These four men just saw this guy and said, man, if somebody don't get him over there to that healer named Jesus, he ain't going to make it. And they picked him up and they carried him. They was willing to make a sacrifice. They didn't do it to be seen. They saw a need and they did whatever it took to meet a need. Is that the kind of person you want to be? A compassionate person. Jesus uh, taught us about compassion, and these men understood they had compassion, and they brought this man to Jesus. And then there's something else that they had for this all to work out, and that was cooperation. Not only did they have compassion, but they had cooperation. Now, this did not happen amongst Baptists. 
because Baptists can't cooperate about anything. But they cared enough to work together. They were willing to work together. And cooperation, this spirit of this idea of cooperation, it's got to start inside the church before it'll ever spread outside the church. If people can't cooperate inside of church, then the world outside the church will never see the need. They'll never want to work to do something with us. They'll ne- hey, do you know why people in, that are, are millionaires and billionaires that really couldn't care less about church, you know why they give their money to churches? Because they see a church that has a spirit of cooperation that wants to work together to do something great for God. And so they'll write checks by the millions and give to those churches and to those organizations. Why? Because they're willing to cooperate with them because the cooperation started on the inside. These people are working together. They want to do something for the Lord. They got a heart for God. They want to you know, see Him do something. But it has to start here before it will ever catch on out there. That's why I say when we don't know anything about these four people, we don't know if they were friends, we don't know if they were strangers, we don't know if they knew this man, they didn't know this man. All we know is that at some point four people came together and there was a man that had a need and they agreed together to meet that man's need. They cooperated to meet that man's need. There are people that need meals and the church has agreed, hey, we want to meet that need and we want to get these meals out. Well, somebody else is going to have to cooperate with the ones that are cooking the meals to get the meals to them for it to work because they got more meals and more people than they got drivers for. So see, here's an opportunity for this to work in this church. The people in the church have to cooperate together. Well, I can't cook it, but I can drive it. I can come for a few minutes and drive it. I can take time out. Maybe you work, but if you got a lunch break, you might could schedule it. Hey, I can take my lunch break. I can run by the church and pick up that meal and run it by so-and-so's and stay for 5 or 10, 15 minutes and, and visit with him and get back to work before my lunch breaks through. You see? That's cooperating. That's making a sacrifice. That's seeing a need and meeting a need. That's having compassion. That's what it takes for God to be able to bless something, for God to be able to do what God only can do. Nobody could have healed this man but Jesus, but something had to happen for him to get to Jesus, and it was the spirit of compassion, the spirit of cooperation. It also took a spirit of commitment. Not only did they care enough to do something, they cared enough to work together, but they cared enough to keep going. Circumstances didn't stop them. There were so many people there. We read the story already. There were so many people there you couldn't get in the building, sitting outside the building. So uh, the, the crowd uh, didn't stop them, but the crowd didn't help them either. There's nowhere in the Scripture does it says, and the crowd parted like the Red Sea and the people walked through on dry carpet. The people would not cooperate and let them get to Jesus. Many times somebody comes to church and they want Jesus and there's so much going on in the building, people can't get to Jesus. So much tension, so much strife, so much stuff in the building that the Holy Spirit can't even get in there and the lost people that come, the visitors that come, they can't even get to Jesus. 
So the, the crowd didn't help them. All it did was hurt them. But there was that obstacle. They didn't let that bother them. They didn't care about disturbing the service either. They didn't care about if they messed up anything in the service. Well, preacher, if I say amen, somebody might get out of shape. Well, let them get out of shape. If I shout, it'll you know they're not used to that. If I run the aisle, good Lord, hey, maybe somebody needs to get filled with the Holy Ghost. I grew up in a Baptist church where people was filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm not talking about some strangeness. I'm talking about some weird out of controlness. I'm talking about when people, hey, they got full of God. They weren't worried about disturbing the service. Wasn't worried about people thinking, well, I've never done it that way. Scripture says that. They didn't worry about that. They were committed. They cared enough to keep going. They didn't let the obstacles slow them down. They didn't let the obstacles overcome them. Leads us to the last thing, and that's courage. Talking about whatever it takes. It takes courage. They cared enough to overcome all the obstacles. When the crowd wouldn't open up and the crowd wouldn't let them, they wasn't worried about disturbing the service and all that mess. What'd they do? They climbed up on the roof. You think that disturbed the service? We go to church and a little thunderstorm rolls by, a few claps of thunder, and everybody's ready to climb under the pulpit in the pews. We get scared to death. Well, there's four men up there with chainsaws and hammers and, you know, pry bars, and they're cutting a hole in the roof. They didn't care. They had courage. They was going to do whatever it took to get, man, get the man to Jesus. They, they overcame the criticism of the people, the skepticism of the people. They didn't let it bother them. They didn't let the roof bother them. They didn't care about damage in the roof. This was a man's house. This was not the place of worship. They didn't care about tearing up that man's roof. They said, if we have to, we'll take up an offering after church and we'll buy the man a new roof. They made a hole in the roof, tied some bed sheets together, whatever they had, and they let the man down through the hole in the roof. They didn't let the word... Didn't worry about the cost of what it was going to take to get the roof patched either. There's a lot of things in church we don't do because we worry about how much it's going to cost. Might cost us something. Might cost God everything to save us. I think we ought to invest a little bit in Him. We ought to invest more in Him than we do in ourselves. Stuff didn't stop their courage. Let me tell you something this morning. You can't stop a heart that beats for other people. And these four men had a heart that beat for somebody besides themselves. And that's what God's looking for today. God's looking for, for one man, for one woman, that'll have a heart that's completely healed. He wants to show himself strong through somebody that'll 100% give their heart to him. Might be you. God wants to show himself strong not just through one individual, but these were four people here. What does that make? That makes a corporation because they cooperated together. That's a church. God's looking for a church that will give itself 100% to him. Not worry about all the stuff and all the things and what people think and what people say and whether or not this 
denomination likes this or this group cares about that or that group cares. Hey, just get on fire for God. Give him your heart 100%. And if everybody in the church gave him their heart 100%, you know what? The church would be 100% for God. And it's not about each other. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's all about him. It's been said over and over and over again. But we need to see. And, and that's the, the reaction, the actions of what we do proves whether it's all about him or not. So are we willing to do whatever it takes? Are we willing to have a heart for God? God's ability is never in question. God can do whatever it is that needs to be doing. He displayed it right here. He, he argued, I don't have time to go into the critics and the skeptics and talk about them and, and, and argue about them. But they ain't nothing but a bunch of demons in disguise. And Jesus addressed them. And when he got through addressing them, he said, Man, I done told you your sins is forgiven. But just to prove all these idiots over here wrong, he said, Take up your bed and walk. And the Bible says, Immediately he took up his bed and walked. And he did. Why? Because God can. God can do whatever it takes. As long as people have a heart for God. See? Was it about those men? Not really. It was really all about Jesus. But could Jesus have done what he did had they not brought the man to him to start with? Couldn't have happened, could it? But God gave us an illustration. He gave us a perfect example right there of what can be done, what can take place, what he wants to do if we'll just give him our heart 100%. If we'll just give him all of ourself. There's no limit to what God can do. God can do things through you you never imagined. If you'll just yield yourself to him. He promises he will. He said he wants to. He wants to strongly support you. Let's bow our heads. <coughs> Preach primarily this morning to save people. You're, you're his this morning, but he wants 100% of you. He didn't say he wanted to, to support somebody that's halfway his or partway his. He wants to support somebody whose heart is totally committed to him, 100% surrendered to him. Not my will, as Jesus said, but thy will be done. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe God's speaking to your heart. And you'd like to come and just recommit or commit yourself more to him. That, that you want to serve him. Not with part of your day, but all of your day. Not with part of your life, but all of your life. You want to give him everything. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, she's preparing a song she'll begin to play. And you don't wait this morning. If she begins to play, you just come and find a place. Talk to the Lord. Spend some time fellowshipping with him. Let him give you the strength and the courage that you need to do what it is that he's called you to do. Father, we love you this morning. God, now this is the time the Holy Spirit speak to our heart, Lord, and, and challenge us and encourage us about your word. Lord, there's not one thing I can do. We've just presented it. Lord, may you speak to hearts today. God, may you help us to become the people that you desire for us to be. 
Lord, I believe that you want to do great things from this church. I believe you want to do great things in the hearts and lives of these people. But God, it takes a group. It takes a corporate effort. People giving themselves 100% to you. Lord, may you do your work as we wait upon you. We'll wait just a few minutes to give you time. As she plays, you come. Then we'll have a prayer and dismissal together. serving you so that you might do your perfect work and we'll give you the praise and glory for what takes place in Jesus name
somebody.